Hey, did you hear it? That was the sound of you entering Skeevland. I'm your host, Alan McDonnell, and today's guest is jet-setting DJ Louisa Pilot. Actually, Louisa lives in Paris, so often she takes a train to work, which doesn't explain what she's doing here or how she got there. But she'll take care of all that right now. Here's Louisa on Skeevland. Pilot and whatever pilot? it actually changes you, per country. Does it? But in the United States, has it? You, it's you, pilot in the United States. You go with the T. Yeah. Nice. Louisa Pilot. Nothing deceptive about it, because a lot of like French is the, like the most deceptive language. Yeah, in, the world. in French it's like pio. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can't really bring that home no. with you. No. Can't. Okay, Louisa. I know that you live in Paris. I you, do. But here you are in Los Angeles. I am back in L.A., and I say back because I lived here for a long time, and that's how we know each other. So are you moving back to L.A.? Alas, no, I'm moving out of L.A. I'm clearing my storage unit. <laughs> it's really sad, actually, because I forgot kind of how much history I have here, but I'm, I'm happy to be back in town. It's always nice. How long did you live here? Seven years. Seven years? Yeah. And initially, you're from New York? Yes. So Fact. Are you a Parisian now? Or do, you, could you, do you consider yourself a Parisian? Or no. You... I mean, my French sucks too bad to really consider myself Parisian. And I think, like, the longer you kind you, I've discovered the longer I stay, the more I realize I don't know anything about French, like, French culture mm -hmm. because it's all invisible. Like, all the stuff that you think you know that you think is like culturally embedded is that that you think is global is really different there but no one talks about it it is it's a lived experience and then you discover like when i say apple you think orange mm -hmm. right like they don't have dating for instance like this is a new concept that came with apps so what do they, <laughs> what do, they do before dating they, they would hang out in like mixed gender groups and then mm -hmm. pair off as like friends and then you'd be in a relationship okay so you'd sneak off from the group <clears throat> Basically, and that's how you'd kind of, the courtship would be in a group, so there's no, mm -hmm. like, going for coffee as a pair of people to see if you like someone. Like, you'd do that in a friendship group mm -hmm. and then kind of pair off organically, and then you'd be in a relationship when you wouldn't be seeing other people. But then, like... But would you still hang out with that group, that yeah. bigger group? You'd hang out with that bigger group, but you'd be, like, paired off. You'd, they you'd know be coupled you couple. out. Yeah. yeah. And which I'm, like... I don't like that. <laughs> I don't know about that. I don't like groups. Do <laughs> I don't people, like people. So how do people get out? Do they go, like, you go, you sneak up, like, do the two people, do they somehow give a signal to each other and one leaves to walk to the left, one leaves walking to the right, and then they circle around and meet up? I or think is, it like, <laughs> is like, it like more open? Less like, specific than that. You see, you can, you can you know, I mean, I think you see it in kind of teenage behavior here, mm -hmm. but like as people become adults, you like ask each other out on dates or mm -hmm. in LA, you ask people for like hikes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and yeah, there I guess people kind of hang out and they like go out in a big group. Like they don't have like a girls' night. It's like everybody goes out together, and then you kind of like sneak get off. drunk and go home together. I think yeah, is the yeah. kind of move, which if you don't drink is kind. Of, you're just like, what is everyone doing? <laughs> like, <laughs> why has everyone left me? Yeah, like you don't realize that this is a coded behavior. <laughs> did you end up sitting alone in a lot of cafes all of a sudden? And I mean, how did this happen to I, me? Well, because like I don't that like culturally I didn't really go out in large groups it's like since I was a kid this, mm. I mean my job is is going out so I don't habitually do that so I didn't really like <laughs> everybody just thought I was like a weirdo I guess and but dating apps have been very had been very helpful mm. now I'm in a partnership mm. but like dating apps have been very helpful in kind of like 
so you, figuring out what the hell is going on. So are you hanging out primarily with French people then, or were there, were there other expats or other people from other countries, or was it basically... A lot of expats and a lot of, like, DJs. Mm -hmm. And then it's nice because Paris, like L.A., is kind of a city where there's a lot of coming and going, so... Which it's, it's on one hand it's great because your your friends come visit you mm -hmm. kind of yeah I bet. with great ease I and bet. on another hand it's hard because everybody leaves. <laughs> yeah, but everyone that goes like if they know you like they're going to contact you. Yeah, you're going to know where to go. You're going to know where, where to go to eat. Which is great. Yeah, yeah. it's and and it's been nice to kind of get comfortable enough there there to like be able to show people around and have mm -hmm. a nice time that's a little bit off the beaten path. It's not quite so touristy, but it's also like special and fun. Yeah. <laughs> How do you um, differentiate between like, because you do a lot of travel, right? Am I do I a right? lot of travel, yeah. So what, what's the difference between like traveling like and, and actually like settling down somewhere? Because both places, like you say, like both instances, it's sort of for, it's foreign to you basically because you're a California New York person. Yeah, I mean, although it's interesting because it kind of here is where I started to do some like when I was still living in LA, I started to do some touring, but because I, newsflash, California is far as fuck from everything, yeah, <laughs> like which I didn't really realize until going to somewhere where it's like a 20 minute train ride to Switzerland, basically mm -hmm. like you can you know be in 15 different countries within two hours. Like that's that's touring, that's you know, luxury, yeah. and it's really like I'm I. I prefer I'm like I discovered through this that I'm quite a homebody. Like I like my my nest, but like touring is for work. Like I don't particularly. Like, I'm learning how to travel for for pleasure, but like touring did it, is did for work. Did it take away travel for pleasure from you? I have another friend who tours a lot. This guy's he was in a band, he's in he's in a band called the Melvins. Oh yeah, and he. Tour, he's been to Europe, I don't know how many times, but, but he, it's very difficult to, for him to think of a vacation as something where you would go somewhere else. <laughs> yeah. Do you have that same issue? Or? Well, it's again, France is interesting culturally because they like take vacation really seriously. They have mm. six weeks of paid vacation a year, which is insane. Not insane to me. <laughs> I mean, I fantastic, yeah. but I'm just like, what the? Like, no one gets any work done here, yeah. but they do. No, no shit talking first. But, um, <laughs> But so it, it was this was my first kind of year where like my boyfriend and I went to Portugal together and had like just stayed a week in a house and like went to the beach and it was like, oh, this is so nice. Like, but it took about a week, the week that we were there, it took us to figure out like how to have fun doing that. I'm like, this isn't just uncomfortable being away from home to like go exploring because, yeah, touring is kind of like for me, I don't I want to spend like I'm kind of hyper neurotic and controlling mm -hmm. and I've like I've learned to accept this about myself and kind of like set up ways to be comfortable within that wherever I am but I want to be away from home as little as possible does the job <laughs> then like the job when you're on the job when you're at work when you're performing yeah does the hyper controlling the hyper awareness is that all part of the the job requirements and is that like are those oh tools God. I mean for me they're tools because I can kind of set up a ritual around everything it's like take a nap wake up like 40 minutes before I have to be out the door and in that 40 minutes like listen to a specific podcast <laughs> like mm. put on makeup and do yoga like so, so like drink a coffee and eat a protein bar <laughs> like so it's almost like being home yeah so it's it's kind of setting up like it's like I guess it's kind of like traveling with dogs <laughs> like you want to have the same routine for them so they're comfortable and I have to like do that for myself for your inner dogs yeah for my inner dogs yeah. <laughs> um, but so unfortunately like or slash in order to kind of be comfortable like if I'm showing up for work I'm showing up for work I'm not there to kind of explore so it's like 
get on the last plane or train and sh- go to the hotel, take a nap, mm-hmm. play the gig, go home, sleep for a couple hours, and get on the earliest train or plane back. Right. Which, you know, I mean, might not be the way to do it, but it's definitely the way I kind of, like, feel the most grounded and less, like, freaked out. But how about the job itself? Like, when you're, when you're performing, like, I don't, I, I, Tell people what you do, okay? Because so, my okay. Here's the thing: when I was in, when <laughs> I was a kid, this long in, in when the I was a kid, yeah. well, I figure most people are already going to know what you do. Oh, that's cool. But uh, but I'm glad uh, you think that. <laughs> well, no, well, but when I was a kid, okay, you would go to these junior high dances, and someone would have 45 records. They play a 45, they take it off of you, and then you'd mill a bit, and then they'd put the next song on, and that was a DJ. Yeah. That at that time was was. I mean, there was a more sophisticated version, probably playing at the whatever club was in Hollywood. But that was the basic extent of, yeah. what, of what a DJ did. Kind of musical curation for an evening where people were interacting with each other, yeah. not like a rock star. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, but also the the device itself. The device itself was one record after another. <laughs> yeah. And it's you take it off and you put a different one on. <laughs> yeah. And then I went, I knew a girl who was who worked at the Seven Seas. She was a DJ there when <clears throat> this was about thirty years ago, and she had two turntables. Ah. And so the, innovation. <laughs> there would be a, a, a you know the, there was no pause in the music. Yeah. We just go. But so what? Okay, you're you're a DJ. Yeah. How, what does that actually uh, encompass? Well, I think now in order to kind of gain any momentum as a DJ, you have to also be a producer or like create original content. Um, So I started off as a DJ, but it's kind of morphed into also being a a singer, songwriter, music maker, generally. When you you say you started up as a DJ, was that playing records in clubs and at parties or was that already a different medium? Yeah, I mean, it was interesting because like kind of during my career, I started doing this for money and fun in like 2004 so I was like 17 18 and um it was just like I was underage a bunch of friends were worked in bars and like in the Lower East Side and needed I I thought that I had better taste than other people Mm. (laughs) and also like to control my environment (laughs) so if it would it was good to have a purpose when going out and um this is the perfect job, you know? And kind of, it was much more open format, like could play everything from like Missy Elliott, the kinks to like the magic dance from David Bowie and the Muppets and like, and, um, and it was really a special moment and kind of in that time, there were certain bands, especially from kind of the New York scene that kind of started to pioneer dance rock, like Mm -hmm. LCD sound system Mm -hmm. or kind of, Dan- rock music or music with organic instruments that also had like a digital drum sound so it could be mixed much more easily than anything with a human drummer mm-hmm. so you can kind of learn to beat match and from that like in, in 2006 I went to rehab and while I was in rehab Serato was invented so I went from playing on like and what's Serato? Serato's um it's like a music program on the computer that you can control with actual turntables um, so you could use your entire MP3 library suddenly, and okay. mix it with, with records. What you have with yeah. Okay. Um, and that kind of I think changed the game in America because prior to that moment there wasn't like that innovation started a culture, especially in Los Angeles, that was like 
about dance music. Like suddenly blogs were like everybody was a music producer and mm. <laughs> there was like blog house was invented and And where were they playing? Um where? Yeah. Here there was like Cinespace and Star Shoes. It was like all Hollywood Boulevard was um mm -hmm. It was really special. Like um, LAX was a club, and so it was and basically because that was an area at that time that was sort of underpriced, right? That it was, that was sort of a slightly dead area. Wasn't yeah, it? it was kind of trashy and crazy. And I like I had kind of been shipped from New York directly to rehab here, and then was kind of deeply humbled to find out that like no one, I mean, no one knew who I was because I was like an <laughs> underage person who's like in a new city, and so it meant like you know waiting on lines, and which I was deeply unused to and like yeah, you know yeah. giving promoters a mix cd and being like let me call me if you need a dj and it was you know it kind of was humbling but it was also important in terms of um for, for me personally in terms of like creating community here and learning how to meet people sober and like getting a new cultural education from the one that i had kind of come mm -hmm. in with what is beat matching so beat matching, is that like a really basic skill that someone needs to have? Uh, yeah, I mean, like, I think... If you want to go from one song to the other? Well, now they've upped the technology to the point that there's like a sync button on mixers. So it's moved from Serato, kind of turntable-based, to now all the clubs, especially in Europe, that never was... I guess it was a thing, but not as much as here. Mm -hmm. And, like, so people were playing much more on, on CD decks, so CDJ decks, so, like, that now play MP3s. You can just bring a USB stick to a gig. But now they have a button that will sync all... You can have as many CDJs as you... as I think there's four channels generally, mm -hmm. but... <laughs> and they will all just beat match because you pressed a button, which I don't particularly like because it takes the fun and adventure right. out of it. But so, I mean, it's a, it's a it's a important skill to have, especially if you are working with actual vinyl records, like there's not a, B, there's not a digital BPM that's shown on a screen. You mm -hmm. know, you have to like learn how to hear right. music and you have to, they're, they're, they wobble slightly, they drift because it's analog. And so playing actual vinyl is like meditating because you kind of have to keep everything gently in line, right. you know? Right. And then also factor in the fact you're gonna have some wobble. Yeah, exactly. Okay, back to, okay, so you're back, you're in Los Angeles. Yeah. You're like 20, <laughs> like maybe you're 20 years old, 20 something years yeah. old. And, and, um, and from that point, kind of a dance music started to, like, it shifted out of this kind of open format, dance rock, like the Strokes and Yeah, Yeah, Yeah's and Interpol and all these bands to much more like, dance music based, like mm -hmm. minus the rock element. Okay. Um, and L.A. was felt like a hotspot for that because, like, for instance, Steve Aoki was here and he was releasing a lot of dance music on his label Dim Mac mm -hmm. and also, like, throwing great parties right. that looked cool, right. which was important because this was also, also the advent of, like, party photographers. Yeah. So everything was being documented and kind of broadcast on a larger scale. And interestingly, like, during that time, there was also this thing happening in Paris with a label called Ed Banger. And so... The, the original uh, manager of Daft Punk, everybody's favorite <laughs> French French touch dance music, um, had started a label called Ed Banger. And so he brought a band called Justice and a bunch of artists kind of in this crew that looked really cool and sounded crazy. I and, was gonna ask yeah. you about that, about how important it is, like, the, you, you know, because if, if someone is just gonna show up with a U, USB stick, 
Which it, I, I, better of a shtick yeah, in what, addition to a what stick. What other stick do you have? I mean, do, do you have to have like how important is it to have like like a like your the, how how important is the physical presence to the performance? I mean, that's really interesting because I think on one like especially having this conversation in America is is fascinating because here like EDM has become a thing. Like the way to make money doing dance music and being a DJ in America is with EDM. And that's electronic dance music, right. <laughs> which is very a broad term if you think about it. But it's kind of bombastic like festival music where there's like pyrotechnics and like scantily clad dancers and like a guy jumping off a stage into like a cake. <laughs> like it's utter chaos. So that like the spectacle has become a really big part of it here. Mm. Whereas there's, you know, purists who detest this. Right. Who so where's just, your spectacle? Is your spectacle somewhere on the spectrum between like jumping in a cake and purist? I mean, I like I I guess where I stand right now is that I'd like I I I believe in dance music as a mainstream thing because it allows there to be an underground, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and I think the music I make and the music I play is more for the underground, right? Okay. So, like, if... And the underground is not necessarily, like, drawn to the spectacle. Yeah, it's a little bit considered kind of tacky and poo-pooed. <laughs> <laughs> it's poo-pooed in France. Yeah, well, it's totally poo-pooed in France. Like, every, you know, everybody looks down their noses if, if it doesn't sound like <laughs> 11 hours of a single kick drum with maybe a hi-hat with a flange thrown on, like, 15 minutes in, you know? But, like, I, f I feel like I'm somewhere in the middle because I do appreciate the kind of... Um, like the rock show quality, mm -hmm. like that's exciting. Did, uh, did the LA, did your LA experience, then did that help you when you went to France? Like at that time was there, because in fashion, there is sort of a fascinating fascination in France with Los Angeles. Yeah, and it's, it <laughs> it's is, absurd. No, my wife is just there like a little, like a, you know, half a, I don't know, a few months ago. And there is one of the huge, one of the huge departments, one of the leading departments, which had a whole LA section. Like yeah, the Bon Marché has a crazy LA that's section, exactly and it. it's like, exactly <laughs> it. like cause LA is not necessarily known for its like high fashion, you know. No, no, but it's not. But it's not. That's not what the appeal is. That's not what which seems to be drawing the attention. Yeah, it's it's this kind of like laid back, like beach culture, like hipster mm -hmm. stuff. Sort of hipster. Um, and I guess. Was, like, it, was there a correlation with the music? Exoticism helps, like to be, and I think it really actually helped me more coming back, like because I was able to kind of build a name there because I wasn't like everybody else, and then when I came back, I had this kind of clout because I was coming from there, you know. Right from a, like a European circuit. Yeah, almost. and but it's interesting because it's also like on a personal level made it a little bit alienating in both camps. Like it's, I feel like at the moment, especially I just, I just finished a record with a producer based in LA named Vice Cooler, who's like the best. Mm. Um, and it feels like a really American record because I was able to kind of take the references that I had growing up, like Nine Inch Nails or Garbage or less dance music and more kind of industrial mm. pop, um, which is not so much part of the French cultural heritage, right? Um, which is there is much more like the, the world in which I operate is much more based in dance music, right? Not not so much like they don't have alternative, the foundation, yeah, yeah, alternative rock yeah. from the nineties. Yeah. Um, so it's been, but unfortunately, kind of taking the elements that I 
believe have kind of made me from both of those worlds has put me in a place where like it's not the, it, the neither sides of the Venn diagram are kind of feeling it so you're slightly <laughs> an outsider both places yeah which is I mean it's it's good when it's working mm-hmm. you know when mm-hmm. when because you can't be completely imitated because you kind of <laughs> your own thing yeah and you can't be like I want a career like theirs because like it doesn't exist really and yeah. which is great but it's also like at the moment it's been uh a little bit challenging to find a home for the record because I could self-release it but I feel like I want a little bit of a different platform because it's much more of a live show than it is a DJ set mm-hmm. and it's like like it's you would perform this with with a with a, with a drummer with and a, like a, somebody helping with synths and mm-hmm. live vocals which is like my dream like right. the person right. I wanted to be since I was like 11 right <laughs> but it feels like um that it's 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 such a pivot that it's uh it, I've kind of alienated myself with this because so it's in a, a liminal space of pre-release, mm-hmm. like. But. Um, but at the same time, you're still working on. You're still. You're still. Yeah, still doing DJ sets. I'm here actually because there's, um, and this is released after the fact, so I don't worry about it. I'm playing a set at, uh, at the Belasco, on South Hill at a party called Minimal Effort, which is. <laughs> This is an interesting name for a party. <laughs> it's like, Los are we thing. trying? <laughs> Barely, my friend. Barely at all. <laughs> Apparently. But I mean, it's, it seems like it's going to be fun. It's me and a German techno producer named Boys Noise, who's kind of also like, he, he's made a sharp turn against kind of traditional, like, minimal German techno and made quite bombastic, aggressive music, which is cool. And this has gone over really well in America. Mm-hmm. So... That is Saturday, and then after that, there's like a weird fetish party <laughs> that I'm playing a secret set at that should what? be super fun. Where's that at? Uh, the weird fetish party. It's near Union Station. It's called Soft Leather. <laughs> is that, um, oh, so you're playing two shows in, in one, one night? Yeah. Oh, wow, nice. Yeah, but, uh, but the last one's not supposed to be announced, so it's good that this well, is coming no, this out in like three weeks. Yeah, Haha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Although I will get on my social media right after we're done. <laughs> Tell everyone. Yeah, all the, you know, like my 17 followers. <laughs> they'll um, know. Well, they'll be, be a great party. They'll be asleep by 10, but you know, they'll have known that they could have gone to this other thing if they could have found could it. Could it be an option? Yeah. <laughs> Soft leather they put into uh, their ways and it just sends them to some, I don't know, warehouse and downy. Yeah. yeah. Lucky people. <laughs> What's the, is there, okay, here's the thing, the career arc, right? I've actually been on an airplane with Steve Aoki. Yeah, he's, a, he's like a lovely man. Yeah, he was flying, was, we were going to Spain, it was like his, but um, okay, he's been doing this for a long time too, right? Yeah, and came kind of from a hardcore scene, like, I don't think, I like mean. Like a hardcore punk scene or yeah. hardcore scene? Like hardcore, like, really? Yeah, which nobody would guess. Not really. Based, based on everything now. No, well also his, um, his, um, what do you call it? His biography. Yes. So it's not necessarily like. A I mean, it's it's quite fascinating actually. He made a like a biopic about like his father's death and with Raymond Kurzweil, like the futurist. That's <laughs> really quite fascinating. It's the inner inner workings of Steve Steve Aoki or something else. <laughs> I like the fact that someone goes and just goes off and does something that's completely, <clears throat> you know, completely outside their so-called path <clears throat> yeah just go right out and just go look here's this thing I'm, that was I'm, unexpected yeah yeah i like that but so but when you're thinking okay like is there do you think that there's gonna be life after this run or is this run evolve into something else like do you do you, i mean you're you're like a clear-headed intelligent person you know that you have days ahead like how do you picture them 
That's a good or, question. Or are you planning for them? Do you have like a like a kind of like a like a some idea of how it's gonna like scope on up from here? I mean, it's interesting because like I don't necessarily have a ba- I have lots of backup plans, but my skill set's very limited. And like ride horses, <laughs> teach indoor cycling, like. <laughs> but like for the mu- kind of on the musical end, I w- I would really love to work in um, like. compositional stuff for soundtracks that's always been a really Mm -hmm. exciting thing but I mean I think also that the kind of shelf life of a DJ is like it's kind of as long as you want it to be as as long as you're willing to realize that it might not be your main source of income forever Mm -hmm. and kind of make plans around that so you can have a realistic like creative life and also other stuff right and right now I'm lucky enough to have it be my my primary source of income but it's it's an interesting kind of like the question of you can either be become move from kind of at least in my position like being the artist to being an entertainer and going a little bit more commercial mm-hmm. or like remain an artist to maybe get a day job right so i mean that's not where i'm at right now and i really have a lot of hope for this record because i think it's special and has crossover potential but we'll see you yeah, know yeah. like expectations are like I could kill myself yeah, so you gotta <laughs> yeah you got to keep it open you got to like yeah. we'll see but yeah it's it's a uh, there's some anxiety in that, you know? I bet. Okay, here's another thing. This is an obvious thing. But uh, you are, are kind of thriving in an in a, in a environment where not a lot of women thrive at the, at the level where you thrive. Now, did you do, the, was there any kind of conscious, like, I'm going to be a woman and do this? Or was it, I mean, how, did, how have you managed to do this? That's interesting, because, like, we get that quite, I feel like all female DJs get that question a lot. Mm. Like, what's it like to be a female DJ? <laughs> and like, I'm like, I don't know. Um, it's like, it's what I am, you know, because growing up, I mean, my mom has always been kind of the primary breadwinner of my family. She's always been like ultimate badass, like mm-hmm. <laughs> have been given no kind of question that women can do whatever they want and mm-hmm. be bosses, you know? And then my heroes growing up were like Shirley Manson, Chrissy Hine, Debbie Harry, Susie Sue, Patti Smith. Like there's, like the, play, the the trading cards right. of like right. badasses right. and I'm like I will be one of them yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like and so and it's, there's no question really that someone's going to get in the way I'm like that's that's absurd yeah. <laughs> and I think you know to be honest being a woman has been really helpful for me because it's allowed you know whether I want this or not like it's allowed me to kind of ask questions in a way that I might if I had a male ego people might not be as open to answering Right. You know, or, or you might not be as open to asking. Exactly. Yeah, and I think that like I I collaborate with a lot of men, and I think that like my my femaleness makes me special. So because there aren't a lot of me, so it's a little bit like on the marketing end that's helpful too. But it, then it's interesting, kind of like I have to kind of watch like character defects of kind of feeling like I need to be the girl in the room. Mm-hmm. Like in what way? Um, in that like when I see other women getting success watching my own jealousy or watching kind of my judging of them harder than I might judge a man, you know? And like that I have to kind of keep, like be aware that I can do that and shut that shit down. Because I like, if I call myself a feminist, I have to be open to supporting yeah. others, even if they might be my direct competition. But it's like, there's room for everybody. She's going to overshadow me. Yeah, I mean, yeah. and they are, and that's okay. Yeah. You know, like, if I help pave the way for some, like, the younger younger women coming up right now, like, who are killing it, that's awesome. Yeah, because like, younger people are going to come in. 
Yeah. Might as well be women. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know? For sure. And I think that, like, it's really exciting that a lot, especially there's a, a couple girls coming out of Belgium that are just, like, crushing it. Like, crazy, huge festival techno sets, like, and look good doing it. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, it's, it's nice to see girls, like, really creating a space that is like tough and unique and empowered and uh and hopefully that like it's it's nice to to go to shows and like look out in the audience and see the front row is like a bunch of girls yeah yeah, (laughs) yeah. which is a thing that punk lost yeah that's that's like the when i was talking earlier about how when slam dancing first started it was completely (laughs) mixed gendered and it was completely boys and girls interacting with each other and safely also yeah this sort of playful way and it wasn't like the the girls ran that scene the initial punk scene in los angeles was, was run by the girls and if some guy was acting wrong he was instructed to not act wrong yeah in some way or another or else he was like Cast you know, out. Cast yeah. out. Cast out. And, so the, and then that would all got lost at one point. Yeah, and it's interesting, too, because I think that right now, like in everything, the kind of Me Too movement has really hit dance music and that people are going down in a way that's, uh, like recently, a, a producer named Jack Master. Actually, does he produce? Yeah, I, he got kind of, he was has been the industry darling for a long time, like number one at the RA, like mm-hmm. top DJs and da, da, da. And, you know, has been... Uh, accused of sexual assault and it's it's interesting to kind of watch the reaction in terms of the like the scene and how how kind of feminism is appearing in like it's fourth wave i guess Mm -hmm. in dance music is is quite fascinating well it's appearing in like maybe a very male-dominated arena yeah. And it's in this having on Which is like kind of the point, I guess, like the the move is like when it's like, what's it like to be a woman in dance music? Or like, why, is this, why isn't the scene more gender equal? It's like, I don't know. Why are you asking me? Like, yeah. why aren't you asking the promoters and the bookers and the labels and the managers? Like, yeah. ask the people who actually have industry power. I'm an artist, you know? Yeah. And we did start a label, uh, me and my creative partner, Mastrum, and like, unfortunately, we have not yet released any women, so this is—it's <laughs> not for lack of trying, though. Like the girls are busy, is yeah, the thing. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. They don't have time for you. Yeah. They're like, it's what crazy. <laughs> we're like, what? but like, we'd love to put out your music, and they're like, yeah, we're so busy, and it's like, okay, <laughs> like, <laughs> fine. Do you think you said that you do a lot of collaboration with men? Do you think that men, because of the e- the male clash ego thing, like find it easier or are more readily? to collaborate with with you perhaps and they are with another guy like it's yeah maybe I mean I think I also like the dudes I hang out with are feminists so they like creating work with women I guess I don't know I can only speak from personal experience but it's weird because I haven't created uh, collaborated with another woman except in my first like uh, DJ duo with it was with another girl (laughs) what's a DJ duo is that it was like we would just play back to back it was Uh called staccato with me and a DJ named Gina Turner is she still doing it? Yeah, she's still doing it. She's much more kind of like, I'm more industrial techno and she plays a lot more house. Mm-hmm. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's really fun. Okay, now, what have I missed it? The, uh, you, run, you, are, you, you are sort of an athlete. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I warned you upon showing up, don't hug me. I've been like riding horses and here I sit in boots and chaps and spurs. <laughs> also, my dogs were downstairs and they got very... 
excited. I think they smelled horses. <laughs> Probably. Because they bark a little bit usually when something comes in, but they, they were... Like, ah! Yeah. There's a horse! Yeah, there's a horse. <laughs> so how does that work out with your... Um, like, is that part of the whole... I mean, that's definitely part of, like... I think I'm quite anxious. <laughs> Just, I run a little hot, and it's been very helpful to kind of create a... Uh, discipline around that and uh, when I was living in LA it was a lot more like distance and trail running and like ultra marathons and <laughs> they had a lot more time <laughs> and now in in Paris it's a lot more like lifting and like functional agility training almost but, more urban yeah yeah more. just because it's I found that my body was having a hard time recovering from the longer runs and the air is bad in Paris mm. and I needed a new I like Anything that I can use as a tool, I can also use as a weapon. And it became definitely like a, I have to run this many miles or else I'm not going to be okay. I'm not a good person. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And so it's been nice to kind of like allow some spiritual curiosity into that area and kind of like let it be a little bit more flexible and creative and playful, which is not (laughs) like the easy does it. Not not my go-to. Not the default. Yeah. 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 But, uh, Okay, Paris. Just tell me about Paris and if you think you'll ever live anywhere else. I mean, it's interesting because I never thought I'd live anywhere besides New York. <laughs> now three cities later. But yeah, it's a really special city. Like, it's absurdly beautiful. But also right now, there's, much like the U.S., there's like a crisis in terms of immigration and refugees and the government there kind of being really hard on borders and like we're close enough to the Middle East that a lot of Syrian people are coming through trying to get to other European countries and France is not being very nice with them and that's hard to watch because it means that like the refugee camps there have really swelled Mm -hmm. and so that's a really like swelled to the point of exploding and there's a lot of like when I moved there there wasn't a homelessness issue necessarily like if you wanted to be homeless or if you were homeless it was because you wanted to be because they have a great healthcare system Um, and now it's like it's out of control and it's really sad um, and it's also difficult because where the reason the, because they had such good social infrastructure it wasn't like you could just go and volunteer like you needed training in order to show up to volunteer to help out people without homes right and now it's like chaos because they don't have the, the infrastructure to handle this many people and there's no training <laughs> so it's uh, that part is like you, you, we don't think about that when you're like, oh, Paris, it's so romantic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it's actually uh, my wife is because my wife goes there a lot. So, yeah, you know, a couple times a year, or whatever, and she has noticed it over the years, over, <clears throat> over the like the past few years. But but again, to bring back to Los Angeles, like almost a, as a here too, part of Los Angeles, because it's gotten the, crazy. The yeah, the, the amount of people that don't have any resources, the amount of people that have dropped out of the net in Los Angeles is just like. It's tragic, and I mean, it's like definitely, I think, it's interesting with this last election, you know, France, I think, thought that they were, it's going to get political, sorry, not sorry, um, thought that we kind of made the holier-than-thou choice of, like, we didn't choose the fascist, <laughs> like, yeah, haha, yeah, America, yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. we chose not Le Pen, and it turns out that, like, Macron has actually quite similar policies, he's just not, like, alt-right, he's yeah. a hard, like, he's the president of the very rich, he's yeah. a hardcore capitalist yeah. neoliberal. Yeah, which is what we would have got... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's like, what is with this world? I mean, I think this. We're the. the I've been hearing more and more the phrase post-capitalism because yeah. it feels like the, like you say, the net's not holding right, and um, especially as kind of impending global doom is showing up, yeah. that um, 
you know, something's got to give. But this is why people need to dance. Yeah, totally. <laughs> this is why it what is. You're doing kind of I mean, it's also you know you hear like if I give political commentary, there's always some jackass being like, you're a DJ, stick to DJ. Like, this is, we aren't listening to you for your politics. And it's like, this has always been a political thing, man. Yeah. Like, this, like, dance music has been traditionally like gay minorities mm. finding a safe space, you know? And if I can kind of keep up that tradition by being like a, a spiritual warrior <laughs> in the night, then like, let's do let's that. Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> and if you don't want that, like, you can fuck right off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going to stop right there. Perfect. <laughs> it's been a joy. Well, Louisa has to go off and get ready for work, so we have finished another episode of Skeevland with assistance and encouragement from Rare Bird Books. If you want to know more about Alan McDonnell or Rare Bird Books, go to theskeev.com or rarebirdbooks.com. Thank you to Tyson Cornell, Julia Callahan, and Jessica S. Skeevland, it's not the worst place you could be.